For many, right now feels upside down, and uncertainty is constantly swirling. Normal is this windstorm ever shifting, and it doesn't look like circumstances will calm anytime soon. But what if the change that we need is not our setting, but our sight? Not the external, but the internal. Not our fears, but our focus. First Peter is a letter, a banner, a compass, infusing steel in the spines of people in hardship, anchoring us in the reality that hope lies ahead. this week from Time Magazine. It's called, Why Everyone is So Rude Right Now. And I was, it was like the whole vibe. I was like, I am, yep, this is like spot on. It's going through all these stories of how like, you know, it, whether you own a business or you work in service or, or whatever it is, you have, you, there, people are reporting ruder clients and customers like left and right. Like people walk in and you're like, can you just like, can we just get rid of customers? Can we just not do that anymore? Like FAA, uh, which is in charge of, uh, Distributing fines for unruly behavior on aircrafts. Uh, they have already, uh, the, the unruly fines have already exceeded $1 million for this year. So good job, America. We're doing great. Good job on the, uh, on the plane. Uh, Rhode Island Hospitality Associations, they work with local businesses in Rhode Island. And they actually put out these PDFs that you can download um, and print off. Um, for businesses to put on the outside of their buildings uh, and their doors. It says, welcome back. We are experiencing a staff shortage. We ask that you please be kind and patient with the staff that are working. Thank you. Which is just a kind way of saying, hey, could you stop being a jerk Like when you come here? like It feels like everywhere you go, people, there, there's just this level. And so the point of this article, and it was actually really good, was they were interviewing these, this psychologist, and he was explaining the reasons for this right now. And the truth is, and, and the reason that he explains is that because our threat systems are an overload. And he says, we are going through a time where psychologically people's threat systems are at a heightened level. Now we have these instincts. God has given us instincts that are fight or flight. And what's happened after this longer period of time, our fight instincts are increasing. And he goes through these reasons and he explains why. And he says, uh, first, it's the length. The period of threat has gone so long that it's actually damaged people's mental health. Second, we are experiencing debilitating isolation. Now, in a given week and, you know, any year, you would experience moments of isolation. That's a very normal part of the human experience. But to this degree, to this extent, to this length, it's actually become debilitating is what we're going through. And then the frustration of loss of resources or normalcy, you experience this? They're like, I'm going to the grocery store to buy something very normal. And you get there and you're like, I guess I'm not buying anything normal. I guess I'm going to come back with hot tamales and milk duds. Like, that's what we're having this week, because everything else is, like, the loss of resources or normalcy. Think about, you know, kids in school, uh, uh, sports, just your normal routines and work and all these kind of things. There's the death and loss of loved ones, especially in a season like this, the the trauma that that creates in people's lives, the frustration, the pain, uh, the reduced social support from community around you, all of this is contributing, and it's interesting, he, he explains even that half the people, uh, what happens is it doesn't even matter how you feel or what you think or what you believe uh, about COVID and this disease. He says, look, half the people fear COVID, the other half fear being controlled. There's this tension that we're all experiencing. He tells this story about this client 
that was, he was meeting with, and he's counseling with him, and they were at a red light, and the light turned green, and the car in front of him didn't go. And he said, I just got so mad. So, so he asked this client, so what'd you do? He's like, I followed him home, like to let him know what I thought about it. And he's like, we live in Chicago. Like, I don't think that's a good idea, you know? And like, not even just Chicago, like, I don't think Gresham, that's a good idea. Like, don't do that in boring. Please do not do that. Like, like don't follow people home. Like, but there's this, like, people are just, like, they're just, they're jerks right now. There's this tension and frustration because of what we're experiencing. But, and so this, I thought the article was great and really helpful. Until the end, where it gets to the solution. You could look this up. I, I swear, this is the solutions that they offer. They, they gave three. One, we all just need to slow down and pause. Two, we need to breathe out more slowly. And three, we should just all lower our voices, right? Like, I'm like, so is this guy like a preschool teacher? Like, these, these are his solutions for society. I'm like, lowering my voice does not get that car to go. It's green. Like, why are they not going? Like, I'm following them up. Like, these are not actual viable solutions, you know? The world has no, they can analyze. They can observe. They can hit things on the head, absolutely. But the only hope and solutions are found in the word of God. So this is why we come week after week and we sit under the word. And look, if you are a believer, this is going to be an incredibly hope-filled, encouraging message for you. If you are not a believer, I hope you sit and listen to this and are like, man, that's the kind of Jesus I want to follow. Not, not what I observe or not what I hear about culture and cultural Christianity. What Jesus actually teaches in his word, that's what I want for my life, and I want to follow him. And so what the Apostle Peter is going to walk us through here in 1 Peter 3, he's going to walk us through three things. First, that one, we need to hold a posture of blessing. That no matter how people are responding, no matter how people are treating us, no matter what we're going through, how do we respond we have a posture of blessing those around us, and we'll explain what that means. Second, uh, he's going to explain that the way we live our lives in the midst of our trials should give others hope. In 1 Peter 1, he, he's explaining how we, as believers, find hope in trials. Now, what he's going to explain in this passage is that how do, people, uh, how do others, outsiders, find hope in trials? By you, by the way that you are living your life. And third, that our suffering, it actually connects us deeply to Jesus because it's through Jesus' suffering that he established his victory. So 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not pay, repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And then he quotes Psalm 34 here. It says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Lord, as we come to your text today and we assess the situation around us and things are dark, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of infighting, but you have a very clear call for your followers that we would be agents of blessing, that we would love those around us, that we would offer hope 
Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that we would be so filled with encouragement by your spirit that we would walk away from today shining as lights in our families, in our places of work, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, offering hope. And Lord, that we would actually see that our suffering that we're going through ties us and connects us deeper with your son, Jesus. Would you do that through your word today? Pray this in your name. Amen. So the first thing Peter talks about in this passage here is is that we should be a blessing in all situations. No matter what you're suffering, no matter if you've been wounded, no matter if you're having evil done against you, the way of Jesus should look drastically different than the world. It should look drastically different. This is why it says, for to this you are called. What are we called? What are we called to? To be a blessing. We're called to bless others, even if we are called to repay evil with blessing. Because the way of Jesus should look drastically different from the world. And if you don't look different than the world around you, you're likely not living the way of Jesus. And if you're not living the way of Jesus, then what hope does our world have? Your plan A. We are to be the light. And so no matter the posture that those around us take, Christians are to hold a posture of blessing. And it's interesting here because he actually explains, and, and what is God's response to us blessing others? That's how we are blessed from God, that we would experience his presence and his favor and his goodness. So we're not earning something here, but, but, but he's explaining, no, you want to experience God's blessing, his presence and his favor and his goodness? You know how you live? You live as a life of blessing. And he gives this list of five things. It says, have unity of mind, have sympathy, have brotherly love, have a tender heart, and have a humble mind. So I, I just want to explain these, kind of look at these one by one. So unity of mind is it's more important than unity of emotions. Unity of mind is more important than unity of experiences or political parties or cultural backgrounds or how you think or feel about these. We are to be united in our minds around what? Minds that are shaped by the truth of the gospel. Because if we understand the deepest truth in our minds, this is what we understand, that Jesus unites us and he gives us purpose together. You know, I I spent a lot of time talking with other pastors in a season like this, asking questions, finding out about how their church is going and the things that they're going through. And man, first I just find myself overjoyed uh, by the unity that we're experiencing in our church. But you know what breaks my heart in a season like this? The number of people that are leaving churches and the reason that they give. The, the reason they give for leaving their church has nothing to do with that church's doctrine. Has nothing to do with what that church is teaching about Jesus. Has nothing to do with whether that church is on mission or they're loving people. You know what? why they're leaving churches? Because they disagree with that church's response to COVID. You guys, that is a ridiculous reason to leave a church. First of all, all churches are responding in all different ways. But come on, like we are called to a mission. We are called to be united in our purpose as a church. You're like, nah, I'm out. I don't like how you manage this or manage that. Are you kidding me? Like we're to be in the trenches together in a season like this. We're to go to war together. And we need to be united in our minds around what? Our our purpose and our calling, and the fact that Jesus has bought our unity with his blood. That runs thick 
you guys. That's our purpose in life. And so how do we do that? How do we be united in our mind? You know what? one of the best ways to do it? It's to sit and read the scriptures together. That we would all sit under the word. It's really hard to hate a sister in Christ when you're constantly being reminded about how much Jesus died for her and loves her. Like It's hard to harbor bitterness when you realize there's a much bigger purpose and calling in this life. I love what N.T. N.T. Wright says about reading the scriptures. He says, we read scripture in order to be refreshed in our memory and our understanding of the story with which we ourselves are actors, to be reminded where it has come from and where it is going to, and hence what our part within it ought to be. This is our call. Like we are to be united in our minds and it runs deeper. And so what is a posture blessing? Like when you sit down with someone, say like, okay, what does unity of mind look like? I need you to fight to find common ground between a brother or sister. Like you, we're focusing on all the areas we disagree right now. Like what if you actually said, what are the things we agree on? And what if we found unity of mind around it? Second, he moves to this idea of sympathy. This word in Greek, it means suffering or feeling the like with another. So what someone else is going through, what they're experiencing, you feel it too. You walk through it too. Romans 12, 15 tells us, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's what sympathy means. It doesn't, it's not just like a distant feeling. Oh, I feel sympathetic towards you. No, I, I experience what you experience. That I actually am called to multiply your joys. I rejoice when you rejoice, and I'm called to divide your sorrows. I, I, I came across a picture a number of years ago that, that, that I think illustrates this in such a powerful way. It was a picture of a woman who uh, was going through chemotherapy. And one of the most devastating things about chemotherapy is, is that a woman often will lose her hair. Now, it's different for guys. Like, we're all, we're all losing our hair, right? Bald is beautiful. Like, you got to rise. Like, you know, at some point, you, you all got to get there, right? Like, I'm heading that way, okay? But, but for women, it, it's, it's this picture. It's, it's tied to identity. It's tied to beauty. And so it, it's, it can be this devastating moment. But here's what was so incredible about this picture to me was the full picture was of her sisters and her best friends who shaved their heads in the process. This is biblical sympathy. This, this says, I rejoice with those who rejoice and I weep with those who weep. This is a picture of the biblical call that we are to have in such a beautiful way. So what is a posture of blessing? It says that I'm gonna suffer and I'm gonna rejoice with you no matter what. Third, uh, he talks about this idea of brotherly love. And brotherly love, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of two Greek words, okay? Phylos, which means affection, like friendly affection. It's, a, it's a, one of the Greek words for love. But it also it includes and he combines it with the word adelphos, which means brother, okay? This is where we get Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, even though it doesn't quite match up. But, but th- this is the biblical picture here, that, that it's brotherly. It's referring to the love between fellow family members, i.e. the redeemed people of God. And what it says is your family no matter what, no matter what happens, you did not make you family and so you can't unmake you family is, is what he's talking about here. So uh, think of it this way. So my brother and I, um, we're very different, okay? Um, 
you can probably guess which one's me in here. Okay, so, so th- th- this is our personalities to a T. Like, I don't even know how old I am, like a year. But, like, I got my hat on sideways. Somehow my face, my nose is rubbed off. Like, I don't, I don't have memories of it, and that's good. You know, the brain blocks, blocks out trauma, right? So that's me. Got my, I don't know why I got overalls. I'm throwing out gang signs, right? And then my brother's like, oh, a, a photograph? Yes, father. Like, that was our whole life. He is a rule follower to a T. Here, you know, I'm probably like eight or nine years old there. They're like, take a picture. And like my siblings are like, smile at the camera. And I'm like, yes, Wendy's frosty. Like you look at all middle school, like high school. Like I, I remember my mom telling a story at one point. She's like, she's like, I just know that Jason is gonna end up in prison one day. Like that's what <laughs> that's his future. We will love him through it, but that is his future, right? So we're just like so opposite in every way. Which is, like, fun when you're a kid and you laugh at. But, like, honestly, like, that gets harder as you get older. And the truth is, um, like, my brother and I, like, we just don't line up. And so, like, I'm not close with my brother. And we've had hard moments. We've had fallout. We've had wounds. We've had battles. Like, and it's, it, it's, it's, it's a challenge. He, li- he now lives in Arizona. And I live here in Oregon. Like, we don't see each other hardly ever. We don't talk hardly ever. But you know what? Like on Tuesday when he called me, you better believe I pick up. And I can hear the pain in his voice. I can hear the hardship in that moment when he's like, I just need to talk to my brother right now. We sat on the phone and talked for 30 minutes. Like, and if you know me, like I don't talk on the phone. Like if you call me, I'm like, hey, text me. You know, like, and if you text me, I'm like, hey, email me, right? If you email me, I just delete it. <laughs> I'm sorry, you are learning this. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a good pastor. But I'm a good brother, right? Why is that, you guys? Because this is what Peter is speaking to, is that brotherly love, it runs thicker than a disagreement. It runs thicker than a wound, than agreements, than time, than space. And, and this calling here, this posture of blessing says, I'm going to love you like family. And, uh, and in that, understanding in our current tension, it can't unmake a bond that we didn't create. And so it's significant and it's important. And then he moves on and he talks about this idea of a tender heart, okay? And again, it's a combi- two Greek words combined. It's this, the word good and the word splagnon, okay? So splagnon, what, you know what that word means? It means guts, right? So this is like, I, I have compassion, I have a care and goodness, and it's so deep, it's like in my guts. Like, I lo- like you ever have somebody say, like, I just love your guts. Like, like I love you from my guts. Like, that, that's what it means, right? And so, like, I'm reading this, and I'm studying this, and I'm looking at these phrases, and I'm looking at different passages where this word is used, and I'm like, man, like, you, like if I'm honest, like I, like, I just don't even think, like, tender heart is, like, the right phrasing here, like, and guts, it's not, like, deep, like, deep enough, and this is, like, you got to bear with me, like, I, like, I don't like talking about this, but, like, th- like, you need to know what this passage is saying. It means, like, in your bowels, Right? That, like, b- biblically, like, you know, it, let me explain this. You know, like, when you wake up 
And you're like, I got some bubble gut going today. Like, you're like, my plans have changed. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're, like, you're like, I guess I'm not doing horseback riding. Like, the Ferris wheel is off the table. Like, no matter what, like, I am, sta- like, people are like, hey, can you come to coffee? You're like, how many bathrooms are at that coffee shop, right? Because you no longer have control. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's that moment where you're just like, I don't, like, like, my pl- like everything is, everything is, this is, this is literally the Greek phrasing. Like when it talks about Jesus, it had compassion that he could not contain. It says he had, com- he had compassion in his bowels. Like some of you guys are like as uncomfortable as I am right now. Like I'm sweating more than you. Like this, but this is like, this is the concept here. Like you can't hold it in. Like because you think you're in control of your bowels until your bowels are like, not today, son, right? Like, like I'm, I'm in control, okay? You know, I got this, right? You know, like you just step back. And you just, right? This is what is happening. King James, okay? King James Version, usually terrible translation, hard to understand. We're going to look at it because good translation of this passage, right? But whoso hath this world's good, all right? Okay, translate if you have good. And seeth, see, his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. Like, just. Squeeze it tight, right? Right? <laughs> How dwelleth the love of God in him? We're all going to start talking King James now, right? Like, man, you need to stop shutting your bowels of compassion towards me. <laughs> right? How dwelleth the love of God in you in this moment? This is, this is literally what P- Peter is saying. This is not what we're called to as Christians. We need to be a people who bless others. I almost use the phrase pour out blessing. I don't think it's appropriate in this context, but like we need to bless other people. If this is your first week, you're like, I am not coming back next week. Uh, I am not at all. Okay, humble mind. Let's keep going with the Bible, right? A humble mind. Uh, here's, here's the issue. Like we, everybody like thinks they're right right now. You notice that? Like we've curated our lives so much that the only voices and media and influence that we're surrounded by are people who agree with us. That's the problem of the mass amount of information. Like, if you notice that all of a sudden, like, everybody's a scientist and, like, a physician and epidemiologist, like, we all have, like, you know, and you know, let me show you this brochure of information or this YouTube video. Like, like we're, we're all politicians now. We're all principals. We're all pastors. Like, if I owned a business, like, you don't, okay? So, like, I don't really care about your opinion. If, you do, if I was a principal, here's what, like, but you're not, right? Like, we need humble minds. See, here's the problem. We all think we're right about everything. Now, if I was to say, do you think you're right about everything? You'd be like, of course not. And then I said, but, but I'm going to prove that you think you're right about everything, okay? If I went line by line by line through anything and asked you your opinion, I'd be like, right, do you think you're right about this? You would say yes. Do you know why I know you would say yes? Because if you didn't think you were right, you would change your mind. That's why you believe what you believe, because you believe that you're right, okay? Now, but watch this. Other people's emotions, struggles, pain, and experiences they matter more than me winning the argument. That's what a humble mind means. This is our call as Christians. People won't remember what you know. They're going to remember how you made them feel. And so a posture of blessing as a Christian says, I don't have to be right in this situation, but I do have to be loving. That's what a humble mind is. 
And that's what our call is to. And now, and I think this is important to say for this particular moment in our culture and our society and in church right now, is this call to, to live out what Peter has written here, this call to bless others. Like, you cannot live out this call in isolation. You cannot live out the New Testament one another commands in isolation. You can't do it. Like, digital sympathy is worthless. You know that, right? Like, like and comment gets somebody nowhere. Like, virtual unity, it's artificial. Computerized compassion is fictitious. Humility cannot be declared. It can only be displayed. This is why the church has to be the gathered church right now. And so wherever you're at, whatever circumstances or situation, whatever, like, comes in the coming weeks or months, do whatever it takes to gather with the church because we are called to one another, each other. We are called to be a blessing to one another. And so practically, how do you do this? Let me just, a simple thing. Every situation, every meeting you walk into, when you go into work tomorrow, when you go to a coffee shop on Tuesday, when you go to the gym on Wednesday, I want you to pray a simple prayer. Lord, give me, Give me an opportunity to bless another today and the courage to do so. Amen. Just start praying that. Because here's what it tells us in God's word, that we are God's workmanship. And we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created to be a blessing. Now, and what's incredible is it tells us in Scripture that God prepared those opportunities beforehand. And our only role is to walk in them. This is our posture. This is how we offer people hope. That in a world that is telling, tearing itself apart, that we would be a people who bring hope and blessing and love into every situation. And Peter continues in verse 13. He says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Like, hey, if you're doing good, like nobody's gonna go against you. But, but actually, it's gonna happen, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, that you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, as, Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if you should be if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. What he's saying here is we need to shine bright in suffering. We need to be beacons of hope in the midst of suffering. We should live in such a way that actually gives others hope, that gives them pause. Like, you should live your life in a way that people are like, there's something different about you. There's something unique. And then when they ask, it says we should respond with gentleness and respect. And I love what he says here. He doesn't say like, hey, if you're slandered, he says when you're slandered, because he knows what the call of the Christian faith is. Like you will be slandered. So it's much better to be slandered for offering love and hope and goodness. But when you are, be prepared to repay evil with blessing, like he just talked about earlier. Here's what you need to know about the season that we're going through. This may be the greatest 
opportunity you have in your entire life to preach the hope of Christ to hurting people. Like, like when the dark is darkest, that's when the light shines brightest. Like hearts are attuned to listen for hope in times of suffering. They are looking for it right now. They are desperate for it right now. And who's called to offer it? As his followers of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, he, he was ministering through a season of, of great disease in his area. And this is what he says about it. He says, if there ever be a time when the mind is sensitive, it's when death is abroad. I recollect when I first came to London how anxiously people listened to the gospel. For the cholera was raging terribly. There was little scoffing then. We have an opportunity right now to shine. My mom, she had one thing she loved collecting. It was lighthouses. She had paintings in every room of lighthouses, these little like figures all over the house. Uh, when, when she passed, um, that was one of the things I wanted to collect to re- remember her by. And just grabbed a couple of lighthouses. And, and light, I love lighthouses. They're, they're this fascinating thing because what do they do? You guys, when lighthouses, when there are, they are a ship's only hope for navigating their way back home in the midst of storms and darkness. That's what the purpose of a lighthouse, right? And it's interesting because they're, they're actually built in these really dangerous places. But like imagine if like when a storm hit, we're like, you know what? It's actually really dangerous to operate a lighthouse. So we shut them down during storms. Like imagine how like insane that would be, right? Well, this, you know, they're right on the coast. They're, you know, the tide is rising, the water's coming in. And besides, it's not just lighthouses. You know, we've shut down the whole city. It's okay. Restaurants, you know, can, they can only do takeout during the storm. And so the lighthouse needs to be closed. And this business has to be closed. Home Depot's open. It's essential. But you know what? Lighthouses need to be closed right now because, because the, you know, it's so dangerous. Do you know how insane that would be? That's when lighthouses are needed. They're needed in the storm. You guys, what is the church? The church is to be the light in the storm. That is our call right now. That's not, nobody else is gonna offer that. You think the government's gonna offer that? No, you think schools are gonna offer that? We are called to be a beacon of hope in a season of darkness. The church is our community, our world's only, only light pointing them to Jesus. This is why we need to live differently. This is why we will fight tooth and nail, no matter what it costs, to stay open. This is why we will worship and gather and preach the word no matter what, because the church is called to be the lighthouse in the midst of the storm. And the light shines most bright at the dark of the storm. And for you and I, we have to understand, like we have one goal, it's to make the hope of Jesus known in this city. And this may be the darkest storm our generation has ever faced. And church, you and I, we, this is a moment for us to shine brighter than ever. This is our call. This is what Peter reminds them of. And lastly, he moves into this idea of how suffering connects us deeper to Jesus. He says, for Christ also suffered you're suffering right now, but, but Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death 
in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. In which he went, he proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, that's Noah's family, were brought safely through the water. He's making this tie to what these Christians are experiencing. He's, he's, he's given a metaphor back to what Noah experienced and how Noah was saved through his faith. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. As suffering, it connects us deeply to Jesus because it was through suffering that salvation was offered. And I love these three things that he points out here because they're very practical ways of how Jesus' sufferings matter to us now. First, that he suffered once for all sins. And what that means is, and this is important for you to understand, that if you are going through a season of suffering or hardship, it's not to pay for your sins. That's actually really bad theology. Now, there's consequences to dumb decisions. Like, there, there is, absolutely. There, but what, is, what it tells us biblically, that if you're suffering, it's for one of two reasons. One, God wants to do some good in you. Maybe he's disciplining you. Maybe he's refining you. Maybe he's strengthening you in a, in a unique way. But either God is doing something good in you, or through your suffering, God is offering hope to somebody else. It's not in vain. Because Jesus, he suffered, and he paid for all of sin, and so there's deep purpose. Second is the righteous for the unrighteous. What that means is Jesus was perfect. Jesus held up his end of the relationship, and he died for us, the unrighteous. And and what he's talking about there is that he, Jesus, blessed us through us, doing evil against him. And if that's what Jesus has done, then we can bless others when they do evil towards us. You're connecting, you're identifying with Jesus. Do you see that? It's one thing to suffer because you're being dumb. It's one thing to suffer because you're doing evil. But it's a whole nother ballgame. It's a whole nother depth and meaning when you're suffering because you're trying to bless others. When you're suffering because you're trying to live righteous. It it connects us to Jesus in a deep way. And and third, we see that there was deep purpose in his suffering. It says that he might bring us to God. That's why. It wasn't pointless. Literally, the Greek word translated there of bring us to God, it means he gave us access. Isn't that a cool idea? He gave us access. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I love access. Like, I'm I'm all about it. Like, if you share a password with me, I will not forget it. So don't share a password with me. Like, like, like I just remember those things like forever. Like, you ever have somebody hand you their phone and you're like, oh, it's locked. And they're like, oh, here's the code. And you're like, yes, please. <laughs> like, okay, like, let's go to email first and then we'll work our way through pictures, right? It's just like, no, nobody else, not idea, yeah? Like, okay, don't hand me your phone, right? Don't call me or hand me your phone. Neither of those things, right? Or like, or like I, I love this one. 
when somebody gives you, you need to go pick up something up from somebody's house, but they're not there, and they give you the garage code? You're like, you just, like, you're giving me access to your house. Like, I'm not going to steal anything, but I love the access. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it, I feel loved in that moment. It's like, that, that code right there is forever burned in my mind. Like, I, I just love it. Like, this is what Peter's saying. He's saying that Jesus, through his suffering, he, has, he suffered for a purpose. You know what it was? To give you God's garage code to the kingdom. Like, that you can come to God any moment, any time you have access, you can walk boldly into his presence. His suffering had deep purpose. And if Jesus' suffering had deep purpose, our suffering had deep purpose. You know why? Because we suffer that others may come to God that others may see his righteousness, that others may see his goodness, that may see his holiness. There is purpose in our suffering, and it connects us deeper to Jesus. And it was through his suffering that Jesus established his victory. That's what this passage here, when it talks about how Jesus, he goes and proclaims. You know what he's proclaiming? He's proclaiming his victory over sin and death. I have won, is what he's saying. And how does it end? What does it say? Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. When Jesus died in the flesh but was raised again by the Spirit, Jesus reigned over evil and he's now in his victory seat. This is where Jesus is. And now you and I, just like how God saved Noah when he was the only one who had faith, and no one else did, you and I, we can be saved through our faith in Christ no matter who stands in opposition. No matter who does evil, no matter, like why are we caring so much about the evil we're experiencing around us when our call hasn't changed, when our identity hasn't changed, when our future hasn't changed, when our king hasn't changed? It connects us deeper, more personally, more intimately with Jesus. And he ties baptism to the days of Noah in this incredible way. It says, just like in the days of Noah, and what happened in the days of Noah? God cleansed the earth of its sin through water. There's a tragic moment in human history where he wipes the earth of humanity because it tells us at one point he regretted it. He was so wounded, so broken over our sin but he doesn't have to send a flood because Jesus drowned on our behalf. Jesus took on the waters. And so now we have this beautiful symbol through baptism that you and I, just like the earth was cleansed, now you and I can be cleansed through the blood of Jesus. Listen to me. In three weeks, uh, we're having a baptism service and we're gonna celebrate our hearts out because there's some of you in this room right now we're going to make a public declaration that you have found new life in Jesus and that your old is gone, buried, dead no longer. And you're going to raise out of that water and we're going to jump and we're going to shout and we're going to scream and we're going to yell because you are being ushered into a family, a family that blesses one another, a family whose relationships run thicker than the conflict that we are experiencing right now. See, this is what we have to understand about suffering. That it was through Jesus' suffering 
that he established his victory. Therefore, through how we live through our suffering, we can declare his victory. We can display his victory. Other people can experience his victory. That's the call of the church. This is the hope in suffering. Not just hope for us, but hope for those around us. You know, one of the ways I've experienced this most vividly over the last year is through the suffering that I've had to watch my sister go through. Some of you guys know this, I've shared this story, but back in May, uh, she was getting ready to deliver her son Everett. And about three or four days before his delivery, his heart stopped beating. She goes in and the nurses check for a pulse and they can't find it. And they look at her and just say, Marley, I'm so sorry, but he's gone. She has to have a C-section and have him pulled out. And she holds him in her arms and has, looks at him. The only time she got to hold her son. And it's been this grief to watch my sister suffer in that way. And it just breaks my heart. Um, it, but if I'm honest, it, it also causes this fear in me. Because a few years previous, when our mom had passed away, it was a moment of deep sorrow. It's been a season of deep sorrow for her. Like I was close to my mom, and my brother was close to my mom, but my mom was my sister's best friend. And she passed just months before her first son was born. And it caused a crisis of faith. What do I believe about God? How can he be good? And so as I watched her go through this, I, I, I honestly worried like this would drive her away from the Lord. A couple weeks ago, she sent me this write-up that she did, and it's her whole story about what happened with Everett. Every moment, everything she experienced, everything she felt, and it's one of the most devastating things I've ever sat and read. I remember just lying on this bed by myself, reading it, just sobbing uncontrollably. But I got to the end, and it was like this conclusive moment where she talks about what God did in her. And this is what she says. She says, as the weeks went on, my feelings evolved from questioning why God would allow me to even get pregnant in the first place if he was just gonna take my son from me at the last minute to being grateful that I was chosen to be Everett's mother. If I had never become pregnant in the first place, then Everett would never have existed. Of course I wish the outcome were different. I long more than anything to have him here with us. But if this was the only outcome, I would do it all again to carry him inside me for nine months and get to hold him and see his sweet face. Because he existed, I know that I will get to see him again in heaven one day. And I am so looking forward to that day and how wonderful that reunion will be. We grieve and we mourn and we suffer in this life, Christians. 
but we do not do it as those without hope. And what Peter is telling us, that we can suffer in such a way, that we can walk and we can live in such a way that points people to eternity, that says this is not the only, this is not all there is. There is a day where he will wipe every tear. There is a day where there will be no more death, no more grief, no more mourning, no more shame, no more pain, no more sin, because Jesus is on his throne. And how we live here and now in a moment like this can shine that so brightly. Jesus, would we be a people, would we be a church that declares with all of our life the hope we have in you. Lord, would we be agents of blessing? Would we hold a posture of blessing in every conversation, in every interaction, in every moment that we have? Because it's, it's that through that moment that someone can get a glimpse of your hope. As we faithfully follow you, worship you, read your word, love our brothers and sisters, would you allow this church to shine more and more and more brightly in this dark moment in time? And would we be so committed to each other and to you that others can't help but long for that? And Lord, as we do all these things and we suffer in these ways, Lord, would we get to experience your son in a deeper and more beautiful way? I pray all this in your name. Amen.